it's verses 1 to 13. It begins, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying. They were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. He said, Go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, I will again, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and the oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. This is the word of the Lord. So I couldn't start my talk this morning without talking about the big sporting event that's on everybody's lips. Can you guess what it is? You're right, it is the Sumo Wrestling Championships taking place in Japan, and we're very excited about the final in seven days' time. I'm joking, of course. It is the Euro final tonight, and England are going to face a formidable Italian team who are unbeaten in their last 33 matches in all competitions. I've come to love watching most sports and even football, but it took a long time. I, I hated football growing up. It just wasn't a big part of life in our house. Dad wasn't really into it, and for that reason, neither myself or my brother or my sister ever get into it either. But I really envied my friends who were passionate about football. They saw something that I didn't see. Because at home, they had talked about it for years, and they'd enjoyed it, and they'd played it, and they'd sat in on the drama, and they knew the backstories and the, the ups and downs and the years of struggle followed by breakthrough. And somehow or another, it had went from being something that they knew about to something that touched their hearts. And it just changed them. And, and that didn't happen for me. And, and there was a difference. It mattered deeply to them. In today's passage, we see a man called Isaiah transformed through a personal encounter with God where his knowledge of God went from his head to his heart. Isaiah the prophet was a young Jewish man of noble origins who lived in Jerusalem about 750 years 
before the birth of Christ. Scholars believe that uh, Isaiah was the cousin of a king, King Uzziah. Can you imagine how confusing that must have been at family barbecues? Anyway, King Uzziah was one of Israel's most successful kings. He became king at 16 years old, and he reigned really well for years. But later he became prideful, and he sinned against God in the temple one day, and God struck him down with leprosy, and he died. And it's thought that this event utterly devastated the young Isaiah. Isaiah most likely idolized his cousin, the king. And it was also a big blow for Israel because in many ways, this event marked the beginning of a steady decline. Israel never got back to the good old days under King Isaiah. Uzziah, see? It's not easy. Like many of us, when tragedy strikes, Isaiah was grief-stricken at the death of his cousin, the king. And he was perhaps disorientated and even angry at God. As a young Jewish man, he would have been trained in the scriptures. And like most of us, he would have believed in God. But perhaps like most of us, when he went to the temple and when he prayed, he didn't really expect to meet him. But then one day, most likely in the time of an intense you know, national mourning after Uzziah had died, the text tells us that quite out of the blue, in some way that we don't understand, Isaiah is immediately caught up into the presence of the Holy Lord of Israel. The text says, I saw the Lord high and exalted sitting on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. All of a sudden, God's holiness and glory were no longer intellectual concepts for Isaiah. They were an intense reality that he was experiencing at every level of his being spiritual, emotional, physical, and mental. A few weeks ago, Jill and I took Robin to Dublin Zoo, and it was fantastic. It was really, really good, and we enjoyed it so much. Um, but the highlight was definitely the lions and the tigers. We got a great view of this Russian tiger. This thing can survive down to minus 46 degrees, and it's massive and lean and powerful. And it has a big head and big paws. And Robin and I sat at the glass. Jill was a bit further back. Robin and I sat at the glass, and this big cat was walking back and forward and back and forward and pacing up and down. And one of the times it came past, it looked right into my eyes. And in that moment, I just felt every inch of my utter weakness and vulnerability. Like if the glass wasn't there, it was over for me like that. It was terrifying. The presence of it was just amazing, and we were all transfixed. Isaiah found himself standing before the God of Israel, and it was like finding himself on the other side of that glass. There was no protection anymore. He was utterly overwhelmed and terrified, and he cries out, Woe to me, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King the Lord Almighty. In that moment, Isaiah sees himself for the first time as he actually is, as God sees him. And he immediately confesses how sinful he is. He's a man of unclean lips. And why are his lips unclean? Because even though his worship of God sounds right and it looks right, he's failed to trust and obey God in his heart. He's paid God lip service only. 
And it's not just him because he's from a people of unclean lips. So it's all of Israel and God's about to judge them saying, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based merely on human rules that they've been taught. It is a sad reality that often the first thing to go in the busyness and pressure of modern life is our relationship with God. You know, we still attend the meetings and we turn up when our name's on the ruta. And we even continue to follow the rules, even though those are often not rules that God asks us to follow. They're ones we make up ourselves. But we'll follow the rules and somewhere deep in, down inside, there's a growing chasm between ourselves and God. Our relationship cools and it goes lukewarm and even cold. And it's sad because what matters most to God above everything else, above all the good works, good as they are, is the relationship because that's why he made us. He made us for relationship. If the Bible's right, if God really exists, it's guaranteed that we will stand before him one day. Most likely on our last day, perhaps like Isaiah, quite out of the blue, unexpectedly, walking down the street or in the middle of a game of football or lying in our bed at night, all of a sudden, we'll be caught up into the presence of God. And in that moment, God himself has told us in Scripture that every single person, every member of the human race will respond in the same way, believer and non-believer alike. He says, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. The reality is that no amount of good works that we do in this life can save us in that moment. Good works are good, and we should do them, but without the relationship, God will say to us on that day, get away from me, I never knew you. God's desire for us is that we would know about him here, yes, that we'd understand, but that that knowledge would actually move to here where it would affect us at the deepest part of our being and we would live lives of worship out of a heart of gratitude. The only hope for that to happen is if God himself intervenes and does something to cleanse us and remake us. It has to come from outside ourselves. It has to come from God. Isaiah knew that. Standing there without a hope until God in his mercy intervened. He says, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. For Isaiah's entire life up to that time, he lived with the idea that if you touched something unclean, it made you unclean as well. And you'd have to offer a sacrifice and an offering and some time would have to pass before you were allowed to be clean again and go back into the temple. But here in the reality, in God's reality, in the new thing God was doing, something that was clean and holy came and touched something that was unclean and unholy. And that thing became clean and holy. It was a brand new concept. And in that moment, Isaiah understood that God's holiness and God's mercy are one and the same thing. The truth is that God is separate from us, but it's because he's holy and merciful and good, and the world is not and the sad thing is that so many people the world over think it's the other way around. But when people get hold of this truth that God is good and they see the beauty and the majesty and the power of God and they realize that he's for them and that he loves them and he actually is really good, that's when transformation happens. That's when lip service 
turns into real and proper worship flowing from a heart of gratitude. C.S. Lewis writes about King Aslan the lion in the Chronicles of Narnia and a little girl in the book asks, is he quite safe? And another person says, safe? Of course he's not safe, he's a lion, but he's good. And that's a great picture of God. He's not safe. His holiness would overwhelm us, but he's good. And he intervenes to make it possible for us to go back into his presence and to live with him. Meeting God changed Isaiah forever. And when God's call comes and Isaiah hears those words, who sh whom shall I send and who will go for us? He immediately says, here am I. He doesn't say, here I am, as if he's important. He says, here am I. It's a bit like saying, such as I am, as little as I am, as little as I have to offer you, I'm completely available to you. Do with me what you will. Send me wherever you want because I'll go because you are God and you've saved me and you love me and you're for me. And your will is that this fallen world will be restored to perfect peace and joy in your presence and I want to be part of it. Isaiah's personal encounter with the holiness and the mercy of God turned his mourning into dancing and brought real and lasting meaning and purpose to his life. Not only that, it rebuilt him with an extra inbuilt resilience. Resilience he would need to fulfill the calling that the Lord put in his life. It made him fit for purpose. And that purpose was to predict the demise of a nation and the knowledge that the nation would never listen to what he said. The reality for many of us is that life can often be tiring and difficult, and in some cases it can become utterly heartbreaking. But for and for many of us, we may feel like this year is the year that our King Uzziah died. And it may feel like we're in a time of mourning, and we've watched our cities be ravaged and our towns be ravaged and separation has happened and it feels like our people have been carried off to a distant land. Life's maybe lost a little bit of its meaning and purpose. Well, through this passage this morning, I believe the Lord is saying to you, if you're feeling like that, don't give up. Hang on. Even if everything looks like it's ruined, there is hope. We see it in the text because it says that as a tree leaves a stump when it's cut down, so a holy seed will remain in the land. Although all throughout Isaiah's life, many bad things happened to Israel, God was at work gathering together a remnant. And through that remnant, he would save many multitudes of people. And the way he would do it was through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we see that which was clean and holy come to live amongst that which was unclean and unholy. And through his life, a life he spent going to the margins, seeking out the unclean and cleansing them, Christ stayed utterly clean and holy and free from sin, right up to the point where he decided and voluntarily absorbed all the sin and brokenness and uncleanness of this world. He became unclean for us to the point where the Father had to turn his face away. Like the live coal, which was taken from the altar and brought to the lips of Isaiah, Christ came to cleanse the world from sin. And instead of tongs being used to carry the coal from the altar, Christ was carried by Roman nails through his hands and through his feet on a rugged cross where he died 
And then he was buried and he, was and he rose again. And in that moment, God spoke once and for all time, saying to all that have ears to hear, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. All you have to do is believe. So how do we encounter that truth to take it from here to here? How does it fuel us every day? Well, the, the truth is that we do need God to intervene. We need God to make it real to us at every level of our, do, our being. And the way that that happens is that God applies it to our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. The moment we put our trust in Jesus Christ to cleanse us from sin, we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says in Romans 5, verse 5, that's that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love's been poured out into our hearts. The Holy Spirit, who was the promised helper sent by Jesus after he ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit who was given, a bunch, who was given to a bunch of tired, exhausted, disorientated disciples on the day of Pentecost who were then empowered and refreshed and went on to turn the world upside down for the glory of God. This gift given to us is a holy gift from a holy God and it transforms our bodies which are dead in sin into temples of the Holy Spirit where God is lifted high and exalted and the train of his robe fills us and it gives us power, and it fills us with his majesty and presence. He connects our hearts. The Spirit connects our hearts to the heart of the Father and the Son, and he whispers truth to us about God's love for us. He says things like, you're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When we lie down and when we get up, when we go out and when we come in, he assures us that God is in control and that if God is for us, then nothing can stand against us. So I want to encourage you this week, perhaps as you get some time away from your normal routine and you rest and hopefully rebuild a bit, I want to encourage you to pursue afresh a relationship with the Lord by seeking to be filled by the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? You just simply ask him. The Father loves to give you good gifts. Just ask him. He'll give it to you. Pray and ask God to pour out his spirit afresh for you this week and to help you see again in a fresh way the beauty of his holiness and his mercy and his love coming together in the person of Jesus as he laid down his life on the cross. Ask the spirit to make it real to you just how much this cost God to give his only son and how much that cost shows us that God loves us so much. Ask the Spirit to place a call on your life again, afresh, to show you the things God has prepared in advance for you to do. And then ask Him for the strength and resilience to do those things. And finally, walk in the joy of the Spirit, filled with life, even in the midst of trials when things aren't perfect. For the holy, glorious, and merciful Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Let's pray. Lord, we pray a simple prayer. We just say, Lord, come Holy Spirit. Refresh us, Lord. For those that are tired here this morning, Refresh them, Lord. 
Lift them up on wings like eagles. Help them to walk and not grow faint. Help them to run and not grow weary. For those that are burdened, Lord, help them to come to Christ, to give their burden to him and to take his yoke upon them because his burden's easy and it's light. Lord, pour out your spirit afresh on your people this week that our good deeds, Lord, may shine, that your light within us may shine and that for your glory, Lord, many people would be swept up into the kingdom to live a life full of joy and freedom with you in the power of the Spirit. Lord, bless those you've put us alongside through us. In Jesus' name, amen.